Today's read, Meditations Across the King's River, African-Inspired Wisdom for Life's Journey by James Weeks. Chapter 2, You Can't Ignore Your Calling. The harvest will come if you plant consistently, if you nurture your dreams, if you think long-term, if you let spirit in, if you are not afraid to fail, if you listen to the right voices, if you do not give up. The journey of 1,000 miles begins in a Yoruba kitchen cooking fish stew and pounded yams. At least that's how my spiritual journey began, eating fluffy, white yams dipped in a rich stew flavored with habanero peppers, onions, and tomatoes, while listening to my friend Ade talk about his culture and life back home in Nigeria. Ade is my Yoruba language instructor. We met through a mutual friend more than 15 years ago in Oakland. Shortly after, he started giving me private Yoruba lessons in his small apartment near Lake Merritt. I looked forward to meeting him each week and often arrived hungry and exhausted after a long day of work. Watching Ade stirring yams with a wooden spoon was always comforting. It brought back memories of watching my dad, James Alexander Weeks, in the kitchen gently sifting cornmeal and stirring it into a boiling pot of water to make funji, a dish that's often served with fish in the Virgin Islands and other Caribbean islands. Like Ade, Dad used a wooden spoon and would shape the funji into balls when it was ready to be served. I didn't realize Dad's cooking technique originated in Africa, but observing Ade in the kitchen made me realize that it did. On St. Croix, we usually ate late in the afternoon before the last rays of sunlight vanished. Dinner was often served with avocado or plantains and mom's exquisitely fried fish served with our traditional sauce of onions, tomatoes, and a dash of vinegar drenched in habanero peppers. My mom, Eglantine Weeks, had a simple philosophy about cooking. Food should always be waiting for you, she said. You should never have to wait for food. Mom's philosophy made perfect sense to me. She was often in deep thought when she was at the stove. Even cleaning fish seemed to be therapeutic for Mom. As we sat outside in the shade of a grape tree, scaling fish, she would tell me about her childhood growing up in the Virgin Islands. We didn't have radio or TV, she said, but we always had each other. Those were the good old days. Mom was my first teacher of spirituality. She loved nurturing others, especially children, and she taught me that cooking can be a practice in mindfulness. I often sat at the kitchen table with Mom, helping her remove pigeon peas from their pods to make seasoned rice. On Saturdays after sunrise, she often took me to the fish market to buy blue runners. Blue runner is a popular fish in Crucian cuisine. We have colorful names for fish on St. Croix, 
and we have magnificent nicknames for people too. I asked my Uncle Jerry Doward for a list of all the fish he knows, and he sent the following text. Old wife, Dr. Fish, Yellowtail, God, John Powell, Silver, Sago Bluefish, Cabler, Grunt, Jacks, Butterfish, Jewfish, Deepwater Goatfish, and of course, Blue Runner, which is usually blue, but sometimes red. I don't know how the fish feel about the names we've given them. My guess is they probably adore them since they return to our shores day after day, week after week, year after year. And I don't know if other cultures love nicknames the way we Crucians do, but in Yoruba culture, names are a big deal. Names are given after careful consideration, and sometimes Ifa priests are consulted. That's what the traditional Esentaye or naming ceremony is all about. It's usually done for infants. Ese is the Yoruba word for feet, so Esentaye means the first treading of the feet on earth. Ade proudly tells me his name means crown in Yoruba, as in a king's crown. It's a name that is usually given to someone from a royal lineage. I started studying Yoruba with Ade because I felt drawn to Ifa, but my love for languages began long before I met him. It started in my early 20s as I started exploring more of my Caribbean heritage. I had been reading books on Pan-Africanism and felt I should make an effort to communicate with my brothers and sisters from non-English speaking islands. Gradually, with daily study, I learned Spanish and a bit of the French patois that's spoken in St. Lucia and other Caribbean islands. Then, in my late 30s, I went back to school for my bachelor's in French at California State University, East Bay. Along the way, I became passionate about anthropology and linguistics, too. Tamarind Years my popular website on Virgin Islands culture was born from this love. I created it while taking a course called Anthropology on the Internet. Our assignment was to write a web essay on a culture of our choice. I chose to focus on my culture and weaved together photographs, audio interviews, and personal anecdotes. As I worked on that project, I felt the presence of my ancestors very strongly. It was hard to focus on anything else. Each day, they flooded me with memories, images, and feelings that became the heart and soul of Tamarind years. I heard voices too, like the unmistakable booming voice of the late great Cariso singer Leona Watson who taught me fragments of African-inspired melodies and songs that I had never heard before. Cariso, also known as Quelbe, is an indigenous Virgin Islands music tradition, which I added a webpage about and including included recordings of on the Tamarind Years website. One of my favorite tales of a slave uprising at a river called Gamble Bay. Watson explained the river, not Gamble Bay, Gamble Bay, 
Watson explained the river was called Gamble Bay because life under our Danish colonial oppressors was brutal. Every day was a gamble for life. Any second could be your last. The distinctive baritone voice of Win Charles, a Shango drummer from Trinidad, also found a home on Tamarind Years. Win was a huge, jovial man with thick fingers who loved women, drums, and rum, perhaps a bit too much. He could be a bit crass and rarely kept his mouth shut, which was a good thing because the man had such a beautiful voice. He taught old calypso tunes and ancient Yoruba chants he learned growing up in Trinidad. Hymns to the Orishas Oshun, Oya, Osain, and Isu. Wynne was a cultural institution, an ambassador from the spirit world who came to visit Earth for a short time. I had great fun writing the Unlocking the Power of Nicknames page on the Tamarind Years website. I remember calling my Uncle Jerry and telling him that our opportunity to be remembered in history had arrived. If only he'd provide me with his memories of crucial nicknames as soon as possible. The next day, Uncle sent via email an impressive list of nicknames for some of the more distinctive men and women he has been blessed to know in this lifetime. Sauce me down. Full Grown Rat, Percy Pigtail, Kung Fu, Joe Geese, Willy White Cow, Tight Shoes, Dynamite Dan, Bonehead, Redhead, Bitehead, Tono Kasha, Beep Beep, Pasture Bull, Parson Dark Knight, Mumpy Torres, Shoe Leather, Crown Prince, Bigfoot Daniel, Peep Sight, Father Found Out, Bull Bitch, Something Drop, Bops Skittle, Dagon Wolf, Boots and Shoes, Contractor, Lanta, Gobolip, and Kink Bonds. I didn't know most of the people on Uncle's list. Many of them left Earth long ago. But I did know Joe Geese, Shoe Leather, Kung Fu, and Gobolip. Unlike Uncle's generation, the kids I grew up with had short, modest nicknames that are easy for the average person to remember. I went to school with Weasel, Rekka, Garlic, Pum Pum, and other amazing souls who greatly enriched my life. Tamarind Years evolved into a website for weightier matters, too. In particular, I made room for discussion about the global language crisis. I first learned about it in the book Vanishing Voices, The Extinction of the World's Languages by Daniel Nettle and Suzanne Romaine. Scholars say most of the world's languages might die off by the turn of the century. It's a crisis because languages are like huge warehouses of knowledge. When they die, humanity loses priceless knowledge we might never be able to recover. As an example, the cure for cancer might be locked up in some undocumented language in the rainforest. The authors say to hear interviews with Daniel Oh, to hear interviews with Daniel Nettle and several Yoruba language experts about language death, visit www.acrossthekingsriver.com and it's under the podcast tab. Even Yoruba 
is on some scholars' lists of endangered languages, although it's spoken by millions of people. There are many reasons why languages die. The lasting effects of colonialism are a significant part of this extinction. When parents no longer pass their native tongue on to their children because they fear oppression or believe that their language is inferior or that using it may hurt them economically or politically, they inadvertently finish the destruction their colonizers started. Once a people are not allowed to use their own mother tongue for education from infancy, their minds have been colonized, notes Dr. Wande Abimbola, author of Ifa Will Mend This Broken World. The Yoruba of West Africa are the creators of one of the premier cultures of the world, says historian Robert Farris Thompson in the book Flash of the Spirit. At a time between the 10th and 12th centuries, when nothing of comparable quality was being produced in Europe, the master sculptors of Ile Ife were shaping splendid art. Like ancient Greece, Yoruba land consisted of self-sufficient city-states characterized by artistic and poetic richness, says Thompson. While the legacy of the Yoruba is rich and fascinating, what moves me the most is not what I've learned from reading books. It's my connection to Ade and my elders. When we first met in 2001, I didn't know the impact he would have on my life, nor could I have seen how deeply intertwined his culture would become with mine. I didn't know I would end up traveling with him to Nigeria to be initiated into the Ifa spiritual tradition and would take my eldest son Malcolm along in an attempt to save his life. Ade is from the sacred city of Ile Ife, Nigeria, the Orishun or ancestral cradle of Yorubas, where his people believe humanity began. When I think of our friendship, I reflect on the many times he reached deep into his own pocket to pay for Igbo's powerful ritual medicine to protect me and my family when danger lurked around the corner. I shudder to think what my life would look like without his help and the constant vigilance of my elders in Nigeria who watch over my family. Evos can be done for many reasons. Health, relationships, legal issues, financial improvement are some of the most common reasons why Ebo might be prescribed. Though such rituals are part of many African cultures, I often felt conflicted about doing them and sometimes kept it a secret from my wife, Stephanie. I was worried she wouldn't understand the importance of spiritual work or would think I was throwing hard money away, hard earned money away. I kept the receipts for money sent to spiritual healers in Nigeria hidden in a drawer. I was wrong. Stephanie understood. I was surprised to learn she wasn't upset about the rituals, nor was she concerned about the money. Instead, she was more hurt that I wasn't sharing the challenges that prompted our need 
for rituals. Although she's not in the Ifa tradition, she respects it and recognizes how much it has opened us up as a family and as gifted members of a worldwide community. Sometimes she senses trouble ahead and nudges me to reach out to my elders to divine what is needed. One of our recent scares occurred when Malcolm, our eldest son, was injured while playing semi-professional football in Oakland. He went to the emergency room complaining of chest pains. Doctors kept him in the hospital overnight for testing because they found a protein in his bloodstream indicating he could be at risk for a heart attack. Stephanie burst in the bedroom late that night after her work's swing shift was over and told me why she was spending the night with our grandchildren while their dad, Malcolm, was in the hospital. We were especially alarmed because Malcolm has at least two male relatives who died too young from heart failure. Sleepy and upset, I got on the phone immediately and called my elders in Nigeria who began performing rituals right away. Without their help, I'm told Malcolm would have faced major health problems. Thanks to their intervention, he quickly recovered and was back on the football field the very next weekend. My family is part of a rapidly growing movement of Westerners who embrace African spiritual traditions for healthcare, guidance, and personal development. Charles Finch, MD, a board-certified family physician and widely respected expert on African healing traditions, says African traditional healers have been successfully providing health care for centuries and are not about to go away just because the Western medical establishment dismisses them. According to the World Health Organization, up to 80% of Africans rely on traditional medicine and healers for their primary health care. African traditional medicine and spiritual practice has been called a science out of the sh- a science out of the shadows, says Finch. Their roots in the Western Hemisphere began some 500 years ago and are percolating into the healing systems of the modern world. Finch once served as director of international health at Morehouse College and currently works as an emergency room physician in Atlanta, Georgia. He believes modern medicine can learn a lot from African healers and other indigenous healing traditions. During his extensive travels throughout West Africa, Finch has seen African healers perform near miracles. On one visit, the late Senegalese healer, Madame Fatou Sek, successfully cured a patient of Tourette's syndrome right before his eyes. Another time, Finch traveled to Senegal with a friend who was also a physician. She was skeptical about African healing arts, and Finch had to convince her to go. The physician had been unable to conceive and also suffered from a uterine condition called endometriosis. After working with Madame Fatou Sec, however, 
the physician, was able to conceive and eventually had a child. Then, between six months to one year later, all symptoms of endometriosis disappeared. Needless to say, the physician is no longer a skeptic. Thankfully, attitudes about African spirituality and healing traditions are slowly changing, but there's still a long way to go. In South Africa, a traditional healer, or Sangoma, can legally authorize paid sick leave that employers must honor. I dream of a day when health insurance companies might cover health-related African ritual expenses just like they now do for acupuncture, chiropractic, and other alternative healing modalities. For now, I'm just grateful for the countless times our day and my elders have intervened to help my family, and I do not take their friendship and support for granted. One day, Ade shared a Yoruba proverb I'll never forget. The proverb says, If a king sends you across a river, there can be no turning back, even in the face of drowning or death. This proverb suggests when a higher force sends you on a mission, whether it's dangerous or not, you have no choice but to go. Don't think you're going to ignore what the king asked you to do, the proverb says. The title of my film, Across the King's River, is inspired by that proverb. I believe a higher power, a spiritual force, wants to send each of us on a mission. And we'll feel more fulfilled if we have the courage to accept it. However, who we are and what we feel called to do doesn't have to be validated by any authority figure or an outside source. The signs are always around us, often speaking to us through dreams, inspiration, intuition, or through ancestors or other spiritual messengers and mentors who show up at just the right time to offer guidance and support. My calling has not made my life easier, but it has made it richer. Spirit calls, and even when it's difficult, I do my best to answer. Here are some strategies that keep me focused as I pursue my calling. I've learned that it is very important to have the right mindset structure to achieve a vision. Be patient. What you envision can't be achieved overnight. Progress at any cost is a dangerous and destructive way of thinking that can lead to depression. Progress does not always mean moving forward. Sometimes it means taking a step back or changing the course of direction. Slow down, enjoy the journey, and allow yourself to be led by spirit. Listen inwardly. Do not let the expectations of others dictate what you should do. Not all advice is good advice. The opinions of others are not always relevant to the life lessons you are meant to learn in your soul's journey. Only you can determine what is best for you. 
renew your spirit. Do something to nurture your spirit daily. If you don't have a daily spiritual practice, start one. For the negativity of others and the weight of the world will throw you off balance and off course. Find a practice that works for you and stick with it. Chase one rabbit. My mentors say if you chase two rabbits, you won't catch any rabbits. But if you chase one rabbit, you will probably succeed. You can't chase every idea that comes along, even if it's a good one. Focus on what will deliver the most value. Keep moving. Exercise daily. Nurture your mind, body, and spirit. Eat a sensible diet and get adequate rest. Form alliances. Sooner or later, you're going to need help. Ask for help. We are not meant to weather life's storms alone. Surround yourself with mentors, friends, and family who can provide love, guidance, and support when you need it. It's also important to be patient when team building because it takes time to build trust and understanding. Some of my most rewarding spiritual and business relationships did not blossom right away. In three instances, it took more than seven years for these relationships to thrive. Eliminate distractions. Technology should be a tool, not a trap. You don't have to respond to every single text or phone call immediately. Same thing with the internet. Limit your time. You don't have to click every update or news feed. Get on and get off. Don't give up. Things won't always go the way you want. This is usually a blessing and it's for your highest good. The ancestors have a better plan for you. Keep trusting and keep going. Trust your inspiration. There is always a reason behind inspiration, and it's a good one. Inspiration is the voice of God and your ancestors speaking directly to your soul. Don't question the inspiration. Follow it and see where it leads. That's how I found myself in Guadalupe, land of the beautiful waters. <laughs>